0: The World Reads from Sharjah, live with Alia, Ahmed, and Aisha.
1: Good morning. We are live from Sharjah Expo Center with exclusive coverage of the Sharjah International Book Fair. This is the 39th edition, and we are we've, it's been a week now, and what an exciting week it has been.
2: Yeah, very exciting, and it's been uh, quite busy for us here at the Pulse 95 studio from Expo Center, Sharjah, talking to authors, uh, showcasing their books at the book fair and browsing the shelves ourselves. Over 80,000 titles here at the halls and despite these unprecedented circumstances we're in, it's quite busy. A lot of people flocking throughout the halls, buying the books they love and talking all things literature. And we are more than happy to join that conversation this morning because we've got a number of interviews lined up for today's show.
0: We certainly
1: do, starting with we're going to go towards the culinary world. We haven't delved into that yet. It is one of my favorite places to delve into. I am a massive, massive fan of cooking reality shows, so I'm looking forward to this an interview with Zahra Abdullah that Ahmed did yesterday and later on in the hour we have the Consul General of Canada to talk to us about Canada's contribution because what the
0: world reads from Sharjah. Yes, we've got a fun packed day full full of amazing interviews. The days are absolutely flying by but we're having so much fun so stay tuned. Stay tuned to all of that and much more. The conversation
1: continues right here at Sharjah Expo Center. This is your guide to everything Sharjah International Book Fair. So make sure you're tuning in from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m.
2: Pulse 95. The world reads
0: from Sharjah.
2: Live with Alia, Ahmed, and Aisha. Welcome back to our live coverage of the Sharjah International Book Fair. Uh, We're here from the Expo Center and we've got a lot happening uh, on today's program. In fact, I got the chance to speak to food blogger, renowned food blogger, Zahra Abdullah. Uh, She's got a cookbook out and it's a pretty interesting one at that. It's not just a book full of recipes. She injects her history with the food, the fact that she blends her western and eastern backgrounds with one another, and it's a detailed anecdote about where the food comes from, her relationship to it, and is really more than just a cookbook. Uh, So here uh, is the first part of my interview with Zahra Abdullah, the uh, author of Cooking with Zahra, talking about her passion for cooking. Can you describe your cookbook, Cooking with Zahra, to us? What should readers expect?
3: So to understand more about the book, I think it's important for me to give you a bit of a background about myself. Um, I'm half Iranian, half Sudanese. I was born in London. I was raised in Vancouver. I've called many cities around the world home, and Dubai has been home for the past nearly 16 years now. Um, This book is basically my recipes, or it's, it's my culinary journey of recipes throughout my life. Um, It's a celebration of polarity, a celebration of Eastern and Western cultures, it's a celebration of traditional and modern recipes, and everything that's in this book represents or has some Middle Eastern uh, flavor or uh, touch to it. So the recipes are a mixture of Iranian recipes, um, Middle Eastern recipes, and my interpretation of non-traditional recipes but with middle eastern twists
2: and can you talk to us about your passion for cooking how did this start
3: so i actually call myself a feeder um my my educational background is i i study political science i have a master's degree in political science i used to work as a risk analyst at one point um food was my therapy food was my artistry or is my food is my therapy food is my artistry and um i I got into the food business because I like to feed people, and that's what's the key driver to why I love doing what I do. Um, And so, a lot of the food are are recipes that I make when I have my family over or when I host dinner parties. Um, And pre -pre COVID era, dinner parties (laughs) were a (laughs) was a very common activity in our day to day routine, Um, at least every week we'd have people over and at least once a month we'd have like a nice big social gathering.
2: <laughs> what does that feel like uh, feeding someone uh, when you have a, throw together a big party, you serve them dinner and people enjoy it? How does that make you feel?
3: Uh, it's the best feeling in the world. Um, knowing that through food you can make someone happy and seeing that joy, expression of joy in their in their face is really what makes the whole experience happy and to be honest i also noticed that my food tastes better when i know someone's ex- excited about eating it um when i know i'm going to cook for someone who i know is going to love and appreciate that experience then i find that i put a lot more love and effort into into um the the menu i remember this one time where we had some guests that were supposed to come over and i i just didn't feel their vibe so i made sure i invited someone I knew would appreciate what I was doing and the food turned amazing. Otherwise, I would have, my mojo was gone by the cooking process.
2: <laughs> it's really funny how that works. Um, look, Going back to your book, it's not just a, a set of recipes. You've got a lot of stories there about the history of the food, where it comes from. And I'm interested in, the, in how you composed it, how you put it together. Can you talk to me about the process of writing this book and making it happen?
3: Well, there's many different elements about this book. I mean, I find that, you know, this book represents many things. Um, As an Arab woman, there's always this impression that, you know, or there's this misconception. I don't think it's a current day impression. But there's this impression that, uh, or misconception that uh, you're a girl, you should learn how to cook so you can cook for your family. Um, Food is more than that. Food is more than an obligation. And... My, my purpose is to show that there's joy in cooking, and, and the joy is in preparing it and feeding people, because it's a form of love. Now this is not some form of expression of love just directly for one gender, it's actually for everybody, for children, for elders, for younger, for male, female, it's for the whole family to be part of the process. And I find that flavors are memorable. I mean, you I'm sure have some of the most incredible memories of maybe your teta or maybe your auntie or your uncle, and a lot of them are childhood-related memories, you know. For me, it's like Friday lunches at my teta's house, all the kids would gather, it'd be chaos, children running around, and we'd all wait to eat a nice meal at lunchtime after Salat, al- um, Salat al-Dhuhr. So, for me, these are memories of Sudan, and and I like those memories, and I want my children to have their own variations of memories. And so... Food is a great way to create really nice um, memories. They always say that um, our senses are what causes us to have positive or negative memories. And it's the smell, it's the scent, it's the taste, it's the flavors. So these are things that I like to make sure are part of the memory building tapestry I'm, I'm creating for my children.
2: That was the author of Cooking with Zahra, food blogger Zahra Abdullah, talking about her relationship with cooking, her passion for food as well. And stay tuned to Pulse95, because up next, we'll resume that conversation, and she's going to talk to me about some of the most interesting things she learned writing this book. Stay tuned. Pulse95. The world reads from Sharjah. Live with
0: Alia, Ahmed, and Aisha.
1: We are continuing our conversation with Zahra Abdullah that Ahmed had yesterday where she talks about her cookbook and how she is merging her experience as somebody who is part of the Western world and the Eastern world and this entire marriage all in her book. So listen up.
2: And you've talked about um, putting together your interpretations of various dishes. Can you talk about that aspect of cooking, experimenting with different things? How do you how do you go about doing that?
3: Well, so, so, you know, I was born in London, raised in Vancouver, Um, as a Muslim that associates herself as being both Western and Eastern, we, we, uh, we celebrated a lot of Western traditions. Um, One of them being um, whether it's Thanksgiving or whether it's Christmas, we, we would, we would make Turkey and we would celebrate it with our own twist. We would make it maybe with um, nice Arabic spiced rice, or I prepare like a nice traditional borgali uh, polo, which is a Persian recipe. Um, you know, we'd we make non-traditional Western recipes with our own flavors. So I like to add a uh, nice lots of Arabic spice flavors to my turkey. Um, I'll uh, I like to incorporate figs and apricots and nuts. Um, so it's it's about bringing uh bringing elements from the east and maybe combining it into the west
2: and uh, what was the most interesting thing you've learned putting together this book
3: oh that's the first time i've ever been asked that question uh (laughs) you know when i put the recipe book together uh it took a while to figure out what was worthy to be written on those pages um you know you you can get a bit hesitant about is it good enough? Is this something that someone would read or be interested? And what I've learned over the years from experience is that it's really important to, to be accessible to an audience of different uh, cooking experiences. So what I might think is simple may not be so simple for somebody else. And, what, and sometimes even it's the simple recipes that actually are so flavorful and me- memorable. So it really was a lesson to to understand that don't undermine the simple things because they're actually very profound.
2: And speaking of simplicity, is that something you consider important in cooking in general, in a recipe? Uh, A lot of times it feels like people put too much into something. Uh, Could you comment on the idea of simplicity in cooking?
3: So I have to be honest, I'm not a big... I don't follow recipe books because sometimes I find them really confusing, complicated, too descriptive. And, and so for me, um, I am the biggest user of my cookbook. Um, when you have so many recipes, there's only so, many, so much memory you can have of all the step by step. So sometimes I'll create something on the go and then I'll just write it down and I'll stock it as, as, a, as a recipe on the side. One of the biggest compliments I've received from uh, the the people who've, who've purchased the book and have used the book is they love how accessible it is in the sense that how easy the recipe is to follow, how it doesn't use too many ingredients, but it the end result is something that's really good. And that for me is is the best compliment anyone can give because I did want to make cooking accessible and not, not to let people feel intimidated by it. Um, and i know a lot of people can get intimidated by the art by the, by the process of cooking and for me i always say make mistakes and enjoy it it's okay to make mistakes i mean the first watergaina Kusa mahshi i made was i think 2 months after i had gotten married and my husband always jokes around my husband by the way does not give a compliment until unless it's real and it oh. took me a long time to get that <laughs> cuz i'd be like what what do you mean it's not good he's like no no when it's good i'll let you know So now I get a lot of positive compliments, but it was a journey to get to this point. But the point is, is when the compliments come and you know it's genuine, it's so much more enjoyable to receive than when you're getting something that's not. But, But basically what I want to get to is that no one starts off being a good cook. We all have to make our trial and errors and we will continue making. I make so many mistakes still, but that's how we learn. And so as long as you become comfortable to accept the, the errors of in the process of learning, then you'll be fine.
2: And uh, you've got a lot of great recipes in the book. I browsed through it myself. Could you share, if you could, one of your favorite recipes with us?
3: Um, I have to say it's the um, saffron chicken with frika. And the reason why I love that recipe is because uh, it's a celebration of not only the polarities of East and West and traditional modernity, but it's also a celebration of cultures. So I'm half Iranian Sudanese, my husband is Palestinian Jordanian. Frika is a traditional grain from the Levant region, which Persians don't typically use or cook in their kitchen. Um, Saffron is a very Persian um, ingredient, which people in the Levantine region don't necessarily use it commonly. And so, what I say is, this this recipe is the marriage of flavors, as is the marriage of my husband and I. So, this is one of my favorite recipes because it celebrates both cultures, both flavors, and it's just an easy one pot recipe to make.
2: That sounds beautiful. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Zahra, for joining us on the program.
3: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: That
0: was so nice. Exactly. I, the,
1: the last dish. I am. So super hungry right now i barely had breakfast <laughs> i had the saddest breakfast today which was uh do you guys know rice cakes yeah,
2: yeah. but
1: i had corn cakes oh, oh my goodness. God. so they're not bad but they're just because i was in a rush i had no time to add, put at anything so it was just stale corn cakes and now she's talking about frika she's talking about saffron and chicken and mashie and
0: i'm like not now not at 10 a.m yes i i really enjoyed how she said that food isn't an obligation it's a form of love and i find Mm -hmm. that to be so true i remember a couple of days ago i went out with my friends for dinner and i ordered this potato dish and when i ate it i was like I feel like I'm eight at my grandma's. This feels so good. Like There's so much comfort in certain dishes, so I definitely relate to that. Absolutely, yes.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. In fact, uh, she spoke to me about how if she's cooking for a group of people that she doesn't necessarily like too much, it's reflected in the food whether she feels that Mm. way or not. So there's a really strong relationship between your connection with people, this social gathering, and your desire to feed them. And when it all comes together... It's a beautiful moment and she spoke about that as one of the primary reasons why she cooks. She said, I'm a feeder, that's what I like to do. I Mm. like to see people being happy. I like to see people have a good time and that's what it's all about. And it's beautiful that she brought all that together. She spoke about her relationship with her husband, how that's influenced our cooking, her background as well. And it goes to show that there's so much to food, a lot of history behind it, a lot of love, a lot of relationships, and it all just comes together. It's really fascinating.
0: And I love how she has this unique experience of having so many different backgrounds, marrying someone with a completely different background, living somewhere, being from somewhere. So her food must be really delicious and interesting. And I just appreciate how she brought spice to the West. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited to check out her book, which is
1: available at Charge International Book Fair. And yeah, I honestly, even the idea of the whole how easy it is and how accessible she wants her recipes to be, because we are all moving way too fast. We don't have time. Like I said, corn cakes earlier, like (laughs) half an hour ago. So it's all about being able to enjoy food without feeling that it's a burden on you because not everybody is a feeder like Zahra. Mm -hmm. I am also like, I like feeding people as well, but sometimes I have absolutely (laughs) no time to feed myself or other people. So this was a lovely, lovely interview with Zahra Abdullah. We're going to be continuing our conversations today. We have the General Consul of Canada right here at the Shard International Book Fair to talk about their contributions to the 39th edition of the Book Fair, so stay tuned for that.
4: You're listening to Pulse
0: 95. The world reads from Sharjah, live with alia Ahmed and Aisha.
2: Morning everybody, welcome back to our live coverage of the Sharjah International Book Fair and we are happy to have with us here in the studio His Excellency Jean-Philippe Linteau, Consul General of Canada in Dubai and the Northern Emirates to talk to us about Canada's presence at the Book Fair. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Hamad. Thank you, sir. Uh, so let's talk about uh, what Canada is doing overall, how it's contributing to this year's edition
4: of the Sharjah International Book Fair. So before I, I go there, I, yeah. I'd like to just commend the, commend the organizers of the Sharjah International Book Fair for putting together a really impressive events. Um, this year has been really tough for everybody with the pandemic, and, mm-hmm. and to be able to Put this together present it to the public and present it in a safe manner uh with everybody wearing masks physical distanciation and so on uh congratulations to sharja for for doing this um canada is is proud and and pleased to be here uh it is one of those not cannot miss destination on the international book fair circuit and uh, so it was important to be here despite all the difficulties with, with travel and, and whatnot. And I'm here to say that Canada is uh, committed to the Sharjah International Book Fair and that, you know, this year is, is a asterisk year, as I call it, but <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we're here to stay and we'll continue to be here in the future. It's and a
1: pleasure having you guys here as well, especially since you guys contributed with authors as well, haven't you?
4: So, so we're here with, uh, we have seven uh, publishing houses that have, that have books that are featured uh, at the book fair. But we also have, have three authors that are taking part in the, the virtual program mm-hmm. uh, for, for the book fair. And, you know, I have to tell you, I'm, I think this, these virtual programs have become... Uh, a way to democratize events and accessibility increase accessibility so that mm-hmm. that you can actually reach more people you can reach them everywhere Absolutely. you don't have to be a local in order to benefit from that and so uh, mm-hmm. for example Jan Martel the the uh, author of the life of pie' so mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. one of the most famous, uh, uh, canadian authors will be speaking uh i believe tomorrow or the, the day after tomorrow uh, will be available is uh, his interview will be available what an opportunity for listeners around the world mm-hmm. to to pick up on that
0: yes and uh, during such um stressful times uh, virtual events really helped us uh, like have that human touch and that human element and not forget uh how w- well we can communicate in this modern age and speaking of the pandemic Uh, How was Canada able to go through the publishing industry in Canada, able to go through the pandemic and navigate through the challenges?
4: So, you know, the publishing industry was impacted, Mm -hmm. like all industries, by the pandemic. The lockdown, especially, has has hurt the economy as a whole. Uh, But what we've seen is that this sector has adapted, has, has evolved, has innovated in order to uh, to survive. And what the da- data shows us in Canada is that 58% of Canadians have said that they read more books uh, as a result of the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? That they've been reading more books than ever. That's so that, that's very good news for, for the publishing industry. Yes. And what is the adaptation? So some that uh, may not have had the same online presence uh, went big time into making their... Uh, their their uh, works available online but also even i, I say canadians have gotten together to uh, support their local bookstores right mm-hmm. and they've made a point of of ordering books and the bookstores have made uh, curbside delivery available and that sort of thing in order to uh, to have a better connection with the community so despite the lockdown the community came together to support uh, to support the industry. So those are, are beautiful
2: stories. Indeed,
4: and uh, looking at the Canadian
2: participation at the Book Fair as well, in terms of the authors uh, being showcased here and the ones participating in the online discussions, Nejwa Zebian, for instance, Neil Pasricha, you mentioned Yann Martel. I see a great diversity of voices, of, of ethnicities, of backgrounds. Can you talk about diversity as a value
4: that Canada upholds and promotes as well? Right. So, so diversity is is at the core of the Canadian identity. You know, unity and diversity. That's that's what Canada is about. Um, and so we start with with our, you know, we have two official languages. So already there, you get the diversity because you have English books, you have French books, uh, First Nations. So our our native population is also featured in our, our culture very very strongly mm-hmm. if you come to my my house in in the UAE you'll see uh, native art that's what I, I choose to feature in, in my house in my house uh, and then as you point out is that all the the new Canadians people who have come from around the world and have become Canadians and have, have uh, written about their experience and that that is also I would say, in the last 20 30 years uh, a core of the of Canadian literature is about the the immigrants experience uh, into Canada so diversity is what Canada is about but that's so that's why it's reflected into our our literature for sure
1: we're going to continue our conversation about Canada's contribution to the Sharja international Book Fair with Ex- excellency Con- the council General of Canada so stay tuned for that right here at pulse 95.
4: You're listening to Pulse
0: 95. Pulse
2: 95.
0: The world reads from Sharjah. Live with Alia, Ahmed and Aisha.
1: We are here with His Excellency, the Council General of Canada, Jean-Philippe Linto, who is talking to us about his con- the Canada's contribution to Sharjah and their presence here at the Sharjah International Book Fair. We were talking about diversity and the authors and the publishers. Can we talk a little bit more on the publishers available here at the Sharjah International Book Fair?
4: Yes, uh, please, please to do that. So we have seven publishers that are attending, Then that, that are exhibiting books uh, here. Uh, they are not attending physically, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of the, the pandemics yeah. and the, the, the limitations on travel in Canada. Um, interestingly, many of them are uh, children's books, mm-hmm. publishers, mm-hmm. Uh, from the part of Canada that I come from, where the French part of Canada, Quebec. And... Um, uh, you know this is this is something that that's really important uh, is how how much i've seen while well, walking the floor how much i've seen a focus and emphasis on on children books and this is what brings us together as as Absolutely. nations as people is yeah. our, our love of children and our commitment to better children education and there's nothing better than than books uh, to do that so uh, a few publishers are, are here uh, featuring uh, children books uh, including the the famous Caillou, if you know, Caillou is a, yeah, I- yeah, is, Caillou. a <laughs> is a, a Canadian uh, invention, a character, a children' character that has uh, not only uh, generated a lot of books, but also television uh, programming for children and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's that that education that I, mm-hmm. that that is so important. We also have the uh, at the other end of the spectrum, the uh, uh, the academic publications mm-hmm. that are being featured here, and and academic is is. Um, is at the core of the Canada Sharjah uh, relationship like mm-hmm. we've had university exchange uh, exchanges taking place between uh, Canada and Sharjah for many years and so uh, to see to see academic books here uh, really, you know, on engineering and and whatnot, uh, being featured, I think is is really illustrative of that, that relationship between the two uh, the two nations.
0: And I love how diverse um, the set of books that you have. You have ac- academic children's book and what uh, books and whatnot. So Margaret Atwood is one of my absolute favorite authors. I've talked about her books a couple of times on the show um, over the past few days. So what books by Canadian authors would you recommend our readers?
4: So you're, when you talk about Margaret Atwood, you talk about the superstar of, uh, yeah, of Canadian know. authors, right? Yes. And, and so, uh, so so that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you, you enjoy her uh, writing. Um, uh, she's, a, she's a feminist author, yes. and, and so, uh, you know, and, and clearly... Uh, women empowerment is, is something that's very strong in, in mm-hmm. Canada and so I want to I want to point to an early feminist author so Lucy Maud Montgomery wrote mm-hmm. Anne of Green Gables and I Anne am- of Green Gables mm-hmm. was uh, about uh, a young a young girl who just takes her space in society. She's being told to uh, to stay to stay quiet, mm-hmm. and she she doesn't stay quiet. She takes her space in Prince Edward Island mm-hmm. in the early 20th century in in Canada, and that's a classic that's been uh, translated in all languages and is available all over the world. Um, I like another classic that I like very much is Michael Ondaatje. Michael Ondaatje is a Sri Lankan Canadian author, mm-hmm. uh, very famous for the English patient, right? Mm-hmm. That was also turned into a movie, but uh, uh, he has another, another book that I read that I, I really enjoyed uh, because I lived in Sri Lanka in a previous posting, uh, Anil's Ghost, which is about, uh, about Sri Lanka. And then we talked about uh, Jan Martel uh, earlier, but that's that's a must-read as well. Uh, just just uh, an incredible story, right? Love that. Life of Fire, right? Eh? Yes. yes, that's right.
1: <laughs> have you watched the movie though? Uh,
4: I I have I have, <laughs> but I like the book better.
1: Oh, so your team, uh, the book is better I'm than... I'm the
4: book is better kind of team, but not always. <laughs> not, <laughs> not always. No. No.
1: We, did have, we did speak about book adaptations and how sometimes the book is better, sometimes the movie is better, sometimes when you're really lucky, we have both versions are as good as each other. Any parting words? How do you want to tell people to come to Shard International Book Fair and check out all the Canadian publications and the Canadian authors?
4: So, so I do want to encourage people to come here. Again, as I said earlier, the, the uh, organizers have made it a, a safe and, and fun experience. There's a lot of publishers that are, are here. Make sure to, uh, to check out Canada in the International bestsellers Sellers uh, kiosk here. At, at charger international book fair uh but but you know uh, i think uh, at the end of the day that you come in person or you access the programming the very rich programming virtually what's important is that we all keep reading that we all keep uh uh, opening our minds and, and uh, becoming better, more educated.
0: Yes. I'll definitely be stopping by to pick up some of those academic texts that you were talking about. So where can we find you at the Sharjah International Book Fair?
4: So as I said, in, in the, uh, I think all six uh, in mm-hmm. the international bestsellers uh, kiosk. Mm-hmm
1: to Hall right. 6 in the International bestsellers Kiosk. And that was His Excellency, the Council General of Canada, John Philippe Linto. Thank you so much for joining us right here at the Pulse 95 studio at the Expo Center, Sharjah.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
1: And we're not done, even though we're nearing 11 a.m. We do have one last segment. We're going to run you through the agenda of the day, so stay tuned for that.
0: Pulse. This is
2: Pulse95,
1: Sharjah International Book Fair Agenda. It is a time for us to take you through the Sharjah International Book Fair Agenda, starting with a very interesting one about cyberbullying and how you can fight it. It is an ongoing discussion, an ongoing debate about how can we tackle this. We see more issues happening across the entire world where people are, well, getting into a lot of trouble. And sometimes with lifelong repercussions, when something tragic really happens, something that starts off as a small word that can you know, go off and become something much, much worse. And it's going to be by Divya Ahuja at 3 p.m.
2: Yeah, we've got a pretty elaborate program today. Uh, As always, head over to Chargerreads.com. That is chargereads.com to access all the workshops, the interviews, the virtual sessions taking place throughout the International Book Fair until November 14th. And this is all free to attend, so take advantage. Now, one event we're looking forward to is going to take place today at 1 p.m. It's a discussion uh, featuring authors Yasmin ali Brown and Muhsin Al-Ramli, moderated by Iman Al-Yusuf. And what they're going to talk about is the impact that concrete reality has on our writing. And uh, the authors bring together their journalistic background, the books they've written, and how the happenings around them, the current affairs, uh, the conflicts that we face and see on a day-to-day basis have a profound impact on your writing and how new aspiring writers could take these facts in to further enhance their writing so that's going to be taking place at 1 p.m we also have another interesting discussion uh, lined up later on in the show
0: yes so at 7 p.m all the aspiring writers out there you have to head to dr wasini and araj's session he talks about how to teach people how to write who do we write for and what are the challenges of historical fiction and of course there would be some discussion on covid19
1: And what's interesting about all of these sessions is that some of them are English, some of them are in Arabic. So if you are, you know, multilingual or bilingual or want to even learn more Arabic or fix your English as well, this would be a perfect, uh, this would be perfect sessions to be attending on chargerreads.com.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's worth noting that no matter what language you speak, there are live interpreters during every session. So you're not going to be missing out on anything, even if Mm -hmm. it's an Arabic session. Feel free to attend because there will be live translation.
1: Amazing, and with that, we end our hour right here at the Sharjah Book Fair, International Book Fair, the 39th edition. I can't say that enough. We have that's a massive milestone next year is going to be the 40th edition and inshallah we're all going to be here as well to celebrate that incredible milestone and with that we end our hour here and we bid you farewell and happy reading we're going to continue this conversation tomorrow with lots of new authors lots of new debates lots of things to talk about right here from Sharjah Expo Center
0: The World Reads from Sharjah Live with Aliyah Ahmed and Aisha